Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're joined with Deborah Beal, president and founder of the Posse Foundation, who has been described by President Obama as an innovator. The MacArthur Foundation calls her a genius, and I, Matt Weber, am proud to refer to her as our guest. Welcome to the EdCast. Thanks for inviting me. Just to frame our conversation today, could you mind telling our audience a little bit about the Posse Foundation and its mission? Posse started in 1989, um, and the story, which is a true story, is that there was a young man who had dropped out of college, a great kid. He had grown up in the Bronx, really smart, uh, got a scholarship to go to an Ivy League school, but he dropped out. And we were talking to him, and he said, you know, I never would have dropped out if I had my posse with me. And you're nodding, and we did the same thing. We thought, that's a great idea. Why not send a posse or a team of students together to college? That way they could back each other up. And if you grow up in the, in the Bronx or in you know, South Central or you know, in a big urban center, but you end up in Middlebury, Vermont or Greencastle, Indiana, you'd be a little less likely to turn around and come home. Now, tell us a little bit about where Posse is right now and what they're doing specifically today. Well, Posse is 21 years old, and in the 21 years that we've been around, we've sent over 3,100 students to college. They've won, uh, to me, an astounding $330 million in scholarships from our partner colleges, and these young people are graduating from college at a rate of 90%. But... You know, maybe most important, and I think if if listeners remember nothing else, I hope they remember that Posse is not just a college access program. It's about creating a new kind of leadership network in the United States. It's not a good old boys network. It's not the Greek system. It's going to be a network of young leaders by the year 2020, 6,000 strong, who will represent the real demographics of the nation. We're now operating out of seven cities, Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, LA, Washington, DC, New York, and Miami, which is our newest city. Um, and we plan to double our national footprint in the next 10 years. Now, leadership development does really seem to be at the core of your foundation. Now, for 18 to 22-year-olds in inner city schools, how is leadership most effectively taught? Oh, what a great question. How do you teach leadership? You know, what we do is we look for leadership. We had 12,000 students who were nominated this year for only 500 slots. Think about that. And we're screening for kids who we think have tremendous leadership potential, students who are really good communicators, who are outgoing and ambitious, who have drive, who can solve problems, who can work well in a team, real leaders, right? Just how you would define leadership. And so we're not teaching them leadership, we're recognizing leadership, and then we help them hone their leadership skills. Now, what are some of the metrics for, you know, deciding if someone has leadership potential? Well, just like college admissions is a subjective process, I think anyone who tells you it's objective is not right. Posse's process is subjective too. But we have a very interesting way of identifying the talented kids. It's called the dynamic assessment process. And what it does is it takes students through a set of three different interviews. And the first interview is a large group interview with 100 students in a room at a time. They don't know each other. And we put them through a series of 
activities. Think about it. Think about you're in this room, you don't know anybody, and suddenly you're in a group of 10 and you're building a robot out of Lego or you're running a discussion with nine of your peers about genetic testing, or you're creating a public service announcement, you could do that, <laughs> about education. And you're presenting it in front of your peers. And what we do is our staff walks around the room and we look for those young people who demonstrate these qualities and traits. That's the first screen. Very different from sitting down and looking at a test score or a transcript. It's a different way of identifying talent and it allows us to find superstars. So now in this identification, are you essentially taking away all of the emphasis on test scores? Yeah, we take away all of the emphasis on test scores, absolutely. We care about grades because we think grades show how much you care about your academic life. Um, and test scores are fine, they, find, they identify some great kids. But they also miss kids. So we take away the emphasis on test score and we use this, this other way. So what is your pitch going into new schools and saying, hi, we're from Posse Foundation, please you know, accept this mission? That's what we say. We, we talk to presidents um, from, of colleges and universities around the nation and we, we build partnerships. And the partner schools for Posse are, are very invested. They commit full tuition scholarships for these students that are merit-based. They um, provide support for program mentors who are tenured faculty members. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful partnership that gets developed. Now, working primarily with students, have you found any of the takeaways from leadership development training with students to be exportable to, say, other organizations or programs? Absolutely. You know, if you asked me, well, what makes Posse work? Our students are graduating from college at a rate of 90%. Why is that happening? You know, if you were going to do the research, you'd have to isolate all the program effects. Is it the scholarship? Is it the selection process? Is it the eight-month pre-collegiate training program? Is it the four years of programming that, it, that happen once you're on campus? Is it the cohort model? I can't answer what it is. I think all of those things are important, and they all offer um, they, they offer us an opportunity to share best practices with other people. Now, you mentioned Posse does boast a 90% college graduation rate, which is really impressive, but with all the support and community measures, what is the challenge for the remaining 10%? You know, it's just like everybody else. Um, there's no one reason a student transfers to another school or drops out. But there are the, the typical issues, financial reasons, or health reasons, or family reasons, or, you know, there's, it's, it's what you would expect. Now, could the idea of Posse work at a distance? Say for students who are not co-located in Posse cities, say uh, talented students who live in rural areas, and how can social networks maybe help this? I know, can we talk about that offline? Because that's a great idea. I need somebody with expertise in social networking who could maybe bring this to kids who we can't reach physically all the time. Now that leads me to the next question. What is the vision for Posse? Is it just to more students in more cities, more cities in general, um, broadening it beyond the United States? What is your vision? All good ideas. <laughs> the vision is to double the, the national footprint in the next 10 years. So. So what we want to do is we want to open in three more cities. We want to double the number of students we recruit every year, the number of students who win Posse scholarships. 
We want to expand the number by the thousands of students who don't win the Posse Scholarship, but who are connected to our organization. So, um, and that's another program that I can tell you about. And, and what we hope is that we will create a structure that will support this new network that's being developed. So if you can imagine young people who've you know, gone to a big urban public school, maybe the school has 5,000 students in it, but that student ends up at Carleton College, right? Or Pomona or Brandeis University, right? These are wonderful colleges and universities. They're gonna graduate from those schools. Now they're gonna be positioned to be doctors, lawyers, teachers. They're gonna run for office. They're gonna sit at the tables where decisions get made and will truly represent the diversity of the nation. That's never happened before, and that's the vision for Posse. Now, in 1989, you started this organization, and many of our listeners are starting organizations or running new ones with similar missions of educational access. What's your advice for people, leaders starting their own organizations, drawing from your own successes? Um, I think if you're going to start an organization, don't do it just for the sake of it. Don't do it because you love the idea of starting something. Do it because there's an obvious need, there's a, a niche, there's a reason that you have to start the organization. And then make sure you've got all the right people connected to you, right? You've got great people on your board, you have partners who can help you make things happen. It's never gonna be about you. If it, it needs to be about the product, it needs to be about the people you serve. And, and was that moment for you when that student did say he needed a posse, or when was that moment for you when you said, I need to start this organization to help with access? Yeah, the reason that I, I started Posse was much less noble than, than you might think. Yeah, I was 23 years old. There was a great idea. The student had this great idea. We had friends at Vanderbilt University at the time, and, and back in the 80s, Vanderbilt was you know, very white, very Southern, very wealthy. Women wear dresses to the football game. And they really needed help, um, not only getting more diversity in their student body, but keeping kids on their campus. So the match was there. There was opportunity, it was serendipitous. Today, I'm much more motivated by the social justice piece of the Posse Foundation. Today I see how desperate a situation we're in. Our K through 12 system is terribly broken. And while we need to spend an enormous amount of time fixing it, if we wait for it to get fixed, we will lose thousands and thousands of young people who could have been given the chance to go to these great colleges and universities. So, so we're the Band-Aid for now. So it's you, and what other organizations do you really, truly respect? You know, I'm super impressed with KIPP schools. Um, I think there are great initiatives coming out of Arne Duncan's office. Um, I look at programs like Teach for America that try to connect unlikely um, constituent groups. I look at somebody like Superintendent Alberto Carvalho, who is um, now running the Miami-Dade County Public Schools, and he is an unbelievable mobilizer of communities. He connects the business community to the school systems. Um, there, there are great people and great organizations out there um, that deserve to be supported and, and admired. It's not every day we get to talk to a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. 
sometimes people don't even hear about those awards until they just get a phone call. Can you tell us about that whole process with you? You want to hear about what happened? Yeah, what happened? Uh, It was great. It was great. I was in Chicago about to go into a meeting with the dean of the Northwestern Law School. I was parking my rental car, and I got a phone call. And a man on the other end said, is this Deborah Beal? And I said, yes. And he said, are you alone? (laughs) Now, that's a little weird, right? So I said, yes. And he said, are you sitting down? Wow. And then he said, have you heard of the MacArthur Fellows Program? And I started crying. Because you, you know, you hear about these things, we have no idea that you're being considered. And he said, I know you have, he knew everything about me. He said, I know you have a 9.30 meeting, you're gonna have to be late for that meeting. And you cannot mention this phone call to anybody except for one person, and I know who that person's gonna be. And he, he knew I was married to Bob Herbert, who's an op-ed columnist at the New York Times, and because they put an embargo on the story, he especially didn't want Bob telling anybody. And it, it was, it's life-changing because it's a special kind of acknowledgement of, I think, of all of us at Posse who've worked so hard over the years. Well, we are privileged to have you as a guest today, and we truly do thank you for coming back to your alma mater and speaking to us all. Well, I love the Harvard Ed School, and Kathy's been amazing, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here, so thanks. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.